mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. Hey everyone, today's guest is Jason Carter. He is a husband, father, and entrepreneur who struggled for decades with depression and alcoholism before beginning the journey to recovery in his new memoir, To Hell I Ride, When a Life Examined Became Worth Living was absolutely epic and he takes an unflinching look into the darkest corners of his past and how he found clarity and ultimately redemption on a reflective road trip from Texas to Telluride. He talks about this in our episode and his authenticity with his struggle and where he came from and what it looked like from his perspective was absolutely eye-opening for me and I know it will be for you. So everybody listening to this episode, really tune in and feel the passion, feel the emotion from Jason and just take that in and use that to review and examine your own life and maybe some of the struggles that you have been going through recently or you've gone through in the past that still kind of haunt you. So I love this episode with Jason. It was absolutely, absolutely mind-blowing, and I just felt him so much through the entire time we were on the episode together. So enjoy this, and I'll see you guys around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Art of Masculinity. Today's guest is Jason Carter. He's got an amazing book that's out. It's called To Hell I Ride, and super interested to really learn more about number one, what gave you the idea for the name of that book? Cause it's really cool. And uh, number two, just getting your journey out there to men who might be struggling with some of the same things you were going through at the time that kind of provoked all of this. And uh, just wanted to say hello and how are you doing today? Uh, hello back to you doing great. You know, in Texas, it's about a hundred degrees. So already, you know, taking like multiple showers per day. Every time I walk outside, I start sweating. So you get used to that. Um, but other than that, you know, just doing wonderful and, and happy to be here. I love that, brother. Where, what part of Texas are you in? Uh, San Antonio. Okay. Yeah, that's not, um, I spend a lot of time in Austin and then uh, I host an event down in Corpus Christi and then I got some good friends out in San Antonio. So I'm in Texas pretty frequently. <laughs> Yeah, great. I mean, I love Austin. Uh, went to school there, uh, have clients up there. So I'm up there multiple times per week. And it's it's just, it's growing like crazy and it's cool. But, you know, San Antonio, uh, I think is the best kept secret in the state. It's a lovely town, great people. It's still a pretty easy place to raise a family. And um, I don't know, I just really enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah, I love going through there. I spent a little bit of time there. A good friend of mine who uh, is VP of Black Rifle Coffee, I've been out there to spend some time with him. And it's been really, I really enjoyed San Antonio. So, yeah. Yeah, and we love our military oh. here. So, I'm sure you went through yeah, some absolutely. of Fort Sam and, and whatnot. So, it's uh, it's part of the culture, which is which is great. That's awesome, man. Well, um, I want to dive into the first thing that we do on the podcast, which is the manly round. It's a few questions. You ready for those? Oh, we'll see. I guess so. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. All right. Your first question is, what is your spirit animal and why? Uh, I would say a bear, um, namely because I like how they are so powerful and strong and they 
they work hard and then they also rest and they can also be you know rather gentle they seem very nice but they have they're so hardwired through evolution to just protect their own um, under any circumstances and it just kind of lines up with the way I think I would like to be not really attacking hikers and whatnot but it just seems like they're <laughs> you know always in control and um and and widely admired and I'm reminded of the movie um oh what is it with Brad Pitt uh, legends of the fall and how his life yeah. kind of mirrored that bear and when the bear and he finally came to fisticuffs it was um a good ending to his life so that always has resonated with me mm, yeah i love that too and i love that you mentioned legend of the falls really good movie by the way love that movie you know it, it really stands the test of time it's one of those that it, they don't really make movies like that anymore this kind of like mm -hmm melodramatic sweeping family drama and those can get out of control pretty quickly and veer into you know very cheesy and unbelievable but i, I don't know i just i just thought it was great yeah and no, bill, whitliff, uh, bill whitliff was the screenwriter that adapted that movie and he lives in austin or he passed away a few years ago but he's kind of a legendary literary figure here in texas and so for him to have been a part of that was pretty cool Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And that's amazing. That's totally awesome. Yeah. Love that movie. All right. Your next question. If, uh, when, no matter where you are, even if there's like a million people around, what song, if you hear it, do you absolutely just have to start singing along with? Poor, poor pitiful me by Warren Zevon. Um, and it could be either Linda Ronstadt's version or Warren Zevon's. That's one of my favorite songs. I actually referenced it in the book. And, you know, I, I just really think Warren Zevon is one of the most underappreciated kind of troubadours. He wrote so many great songs for all the rockers in the 70s out in LA. And, you know, he got his kind of uh, due and fame later in life. I think Letterman actually started bringing him on the show. But mm. I got to tell you, that song, there's a version of it, um, his live album recorded at the Roxy, and you just can't help but wish you were there and could go in a time machine. Um, but that's that's the one, and I kind of know the lyrics, and I might have done it on karaoke before. <laughs> I, can't be, I, I can't be certain the crowd enjoyed it, but I sure did. <laughs> well, isn't that what karaoke is about? It's about you enjoying it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not about getting discovered and finding a second career. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, yeah. All right, and your last question of the Manly Round. If you had the ability to time travel and you could find any well-known person, so somebody generally most people know, who, and you could pull a prank on them, who would you go and pull a prank on? And it could be somebody now, but you have the ability to time travel in this scenario as well. Oh, wow. That is, is making me really think uh, it would be interesting to go back to, you know, the time of the old West or something. And I guess the prank would be, I don't know, like a water gun, you know, ex you know, give it to Billy the kid before he's in like a, you know, a duel in the street or the flower pops out, you know, and everybody's just laughing except him. Cause he's probably getting shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all right. It's just, it would predate the okay corral. <laughs> yeah. Right. I love that. That's such a good one. Wow. Well, you did a great job, brother. That was awesome. That was the manly round. So it's a, Nice way for the community to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> well, I want to dive into this because I think there, there's a lot to extrapolate from your book into um, a lot of men that are living life today and, and potentially struggling with some of the similar things. But what, let's start at, at kind of where I think is the beginning where you had like a, a from the outside, you had this really beautiful life going on, but internally there was there was something different at play right yeah absolutely there was um you know a, a real grind of you know my waking reality and what i was you know thinking and then as opposed to what i was doing 
So, you know, those things grinding against each other when, you know, your thoughts and ideas are in direct contrast with your actions, you know, I think it, you know, it starts eroding at your own trust, uh, your ability to trust yourself, which by and large leads to low self-esteem, ultimately depression, uh, et cetera. And in my case, it was, you know, which is what the book is about, was my drinker's journey. Mm-hmm. And what was, what was it that like you were, what, first off, like what was it that you were grinding in that was conflicting with what was going on internally with you? Well, the, the way I see it, and, and, and I tried to explain it to others and myself, it's let's just say that you, you know what it takes to be healthy and in shape. And every day you wake up and you write down, I'm going to, you know, do weights today. I'm going to run five miles. I'm going to eat, you know, no sugar, but, and you know, that's right. And you know, it'll work, but yet you get up and then you walk to the kitchen and you see a birthday cake from a week ago in the back of the fridge and you eat that. And all of a sudden you just, you, you just, you, you feel bad because you know you've done something fundamentally wrong with what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, the more you replicate that and duplicate that, you know, weekly, if not daily, you start losing kind of hope that, that anything's possible because you're like, I may have the greatest idea, the greatest goals, but, you know, this, this thing and this cake, this, this alcohol is continually getting in my way. Um, whether it's three beers at happy hour that takes place of a, you know, a CrossFit class that you're signed up for, or, you know, an entire weekend that you had planned to go camping with the family, um, instead turns into a, um, you know, a drunken showdown at the beach with your friends. And Mm. I I don't know if a lot of people are, I'm just very contemplative, introspective, and I just felt so bad, you know, the long-term drinking and knowing that it was getting in the way of me being who I can be not only for myself, but for my wife and kids, you know, coworkers and whatnot. And I think that it's almost impossible to turn in anything better than a B or C performance in whatever you do, if you're hungover or, you know, beating yourself up with um, regret and shame. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you're making the decisions that you're constantly questioning and you're all, you know, retrospectively always looking back on feeling that you made the wrong one. And then you're stepping foot right back into that same, you know, mentality in those same decisions. So what was it that really caused you to first off find out that, Hey, th- there's a problem here. There's a conflict with who I want to be and, and what I'm doing. What was that first thing that set you off? You know, it, it, it has such a long tail. You know, I, I, I knew in high school and college, you know, where, why was I the one getting drunker than everybody else? Do I have a problem? But I never wanted to really acknowledge it. And, you know, part of it being a man, you know, at least in the culture I grew up with is if you, you, you drink like a man, you get up and you work like a man. And that's just the way it is. You know, it's not mm-hmm. really um, a problem if, as long as you're taking care of business. And so I, I really always took care of business, you know, the job, the family, the house. But I found that serving, you know, two masters just became so overwhelming and and so exhausting and and you know you wake up every day and you're dragging the anchor of you know the remorse the shame internally and the physical feeling of just being hungover and then you're doing it again and 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 through that process i just slowly started losing um, the desire really to get up and and repeat it and i had tried cold turkey to stop and I quit drinking for nine months and ran a marathon life was great and then realized how bored I was and how unprepared I was to be uh, a non-drinker in in the the Texas culture which is you know by and large a you know good time place to be um and so for about a year you know I, I it went from like remorse and a hangover to really just like I don't think I can continue to go on and and live. And it's such a 
hard thing to admit or even discuss with anybody um, as a man, I think, because those aren't the feelings we're supposed to talk about and share. We're not vulnerable. We're not weak. You know, it's like, hey, uh, get some hair of the dog, get up and get after it, you know, kick some dirt on mm -hmm. it and move on. Uh, don't learn anything from this. You know, you already know everything. Um, so <laughs> there, it was just the, there was an, like the incongruency of my actions and thoughts were just kind of grinding me down the way a stream ultimately flattens a rock. Mm, I think a lot of guys can resonate with that. And I think a lot of guys probably also resonate with the fact that they think, okay, yeah, I don't feel great. I, but I can stop whenever I want to. It's not a problem. Did you have those conversations with yourself? Like, oh, it's not a problem. It's, it, I, can, I can end it when I want to. I'm choosing to just do this. Yeah, all the time. I mean, I think that when you are um, an addict or, you know, or you're just doing a very uh, a bad habit constantly, you're, you're constantly negotiating and listening to the sales pitch, you know, of I guess the red <laughs> devil on your shoulder. It's, you know he's got his PowerPoint and he's showing, you know, the fun and like, look, everybody else is doing it. Who cares? It's, it's part of the culture. You know, your favorite movie when you were a kid was animal house. I mean, this is what we all expected of you. And, 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 and there's really, uh, maybe it's my own fault, but I, I just felt like I didn't have anybody that I could ever really discuss these, you know, deeper thoughts with everybody. We'd all wake up sometimes go, oh, I'm never drinking again, but, you know, by noon, it's like, well, maybe a screwdriver will turn this weekend around yeah. and problem solved. And, um, you know, yeah. it's really just kick, kicking the can down the road until you're just out of road or out of energy to even kick the can, really. Mm. So, you, so, you know, part of this, I love that you address this and, and I'd love to talk a little bit more on it is, you know, part of this is men don't feel safe to open up and be open with friends or even have a supporting cast of maybe brothers in their lives that can give them the grace and empathy and say, Hey man, like, let me help with you. Let me walk with you. Let me hear you. Let me hold space for you. Who was that for you? Um, and what did that look like when you finally made that decision? Well, you know, before I answer that, I think it's important to, uh, for listeners, for me to understand, you know, you were in the military, you know, the, the best of the best. And in your, let's say there's a group of 10 people, if, if one of them raised their hand and said, you know what, I'm not really sure about this mission. I, you know, I've got a backache or something. I don't know what the process would be, but it would probably be something where, okay, we've got to get rid of this guy. You know, he's, he's showing weakness. And not to say that public life is anything like the military life, but I think there is a lot of that, you know, uh, peer pressure to keep up, you know, whether it's, you know, financially or socially or whatnot. And so if, if, if you ever raise your hand and say, you know what, I, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me anymore. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't, apt to help because that would go against their belief system that everything they're doing is right. And mm. that became uh, an obstacle. And I, I was so lucky to meet a, a friend through our common love of drinking. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he actually is not from here. I'm not from here. We're both kind of transplants. And so we're always kind of on the outside, you know, of the I guess the, the the circle of trust for most people, but he and I just found um, a lot of uh, real meaningful conversations in the fact that we're like, man, this is just unsustainable. You know, we would we would laugh about it, we would use humor to get through it, but we were both able to recognize, like, man, this is not working, and we would try, you know, everything, every plan there was, like, we'll never drink on. Tuesday, you know, or only if there's a full moon and never till the weekend. And then of course that would just, you know, dissolve into like, Oh God, you're not going to believe what I did this weekend. And so, you know, without any, you know, formal, uh, I guess, you know, support or whatnot, you know, he and I became kind of the best of friends in the, in the fact that this was the first man in my life that I could just be completely honest with, you know, warts and all, and mm. he felt the same. And, and boy, that is, that's really powerful. 
and 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 sadly very rare yeah well and what what did that feel like when you actually went through that moment of realization that that was like there was a brother in your life that you could be open and vulnerable with and and there was going to be no judgment you know about as liberating as as anything i've ever experienced in my life you know because there was a you know, you could talk about anything, you know, and it wasn't always about, oh, woe is me, we're drinking too much, but it was also, we're both very driven, you know, career-minded, you know, he's a successful executive at Google, and, you know, we're all reading about technology, and we, we want to do all these great things, but he and I were the first ones to recognize, like, well, you know, what's it going to look like if you're out in the Bay Area and you're like stumbling through a, a party that's filled with investors that might otherwise change your life, you know? And mm -hmm. so we would, we would put the real questions to test and, 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 and then the logic of it just became uh, so concrete that there was no alternative um, other than making a drastic decision to, to stop. Mm. And, and what was, uh, I guess, what was that moment of no alternative? What was the question that was posed or what was the scenario that took place when it became that moment of no return for you guys? You know, um, I can't speak for him. He came to it a different way. Mine uh, was a little more reluctant, kicking and screaming. And um, as a matter of fact, the book um, starts with me when I was, in a psychiatrist's office, kind of telling her, you know, my last desperate plea of like, what's wrong? And, you know, she kind of did the rubber stamp diagnosis, bipolar one, you know, raging alcoholic, you can never drink again. And the next week I was driving my family to Telluride for a ski trip mm -hmm. over spring break. And, you know, I hadn't had a drink in like six days, woo, and I felt great. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I can do it this way. Maybe I can just take some time off. And then I, I think I'm going to go get a glass of wine. And this was after we skied. So I'm walking up over to the West side of town. There's a little wine bar that I remember from the year before. And I just, I, I, I just felt so helpless. I was like, I do not want to do this. You know, like I can't go down this path again. And I just kept walking and walking, walking, and and kind of peeked in told myself to keep walking and uh, you know I, I just kept going and winding around kind of lost in thought and then i just kept hearing this gentle voice and i don't have a, a inner voice that's nice or kind it's more of like you know the great santini played by dennis miller and and it was just saying so simply to me, you know, you just, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to do this anymore. And, um, you know, I, I believe with all my heart, it was the hand of God. And um, from that moment, I, I have never had a, a single craving for alcohol. It just seems so, it was immediately just gone. And I, I couldn't explain it. And I, I didn't even talk about it to anybody for months, um, not even my wife, you know, because I wasn't sure. Of, I don't want to go around saying I'm done drinking and then set myself up for failure, you know. Um, and and that's what really motivated me to write the book. I was just thinking about, I can't be the only one, you know. I'm not a mm -hmm. extremely uh, unique individual. I'm a pretty normal dude. And there's a lot of normal people out there that are just struggling and they may not even know it um and it, maybe it's presented to them the problem in such a way that, that that turns them off and i just said you know what i this book is going to be for you know for the person that's you know flying home uh from a, a work trip in mexico and they're really hung over and they're kind of confused and they just need a soft voice talking to them and telling and so they can hear this person's story and not feel judged but it also gives people the template to look back at their own life, which is now become a very important part of the healing process and dealing with trauma. Um, Dr. Bruce McCall, I think is his name. He wrote a book with Oprah Winfrey called What Happened to You? And he 
talks about how important it is for people to be able to go back and look at the game tape of their life. But the, the problem is no one really likes to do that. And two, to do it in such a way, not even to write a book, it takes a lot of time that, that people just frankly don't have. And so I just kind of thought, well, here's a map and I'll just do it for somebody. And they can see, you know, here's a normal kid, little league, um, public college, you know, moved to New York, chasing dreams, LA, blah, blah, blah. And, and the feedback that I've received that has been the most meaningful has been from people that, that are not, it's not really a drinker's book, but they're saying, you know, this is, um, it's so re uh, relatable, you know, because a lot of the books that are about, you know, a former drinker, I think it's called Quitlet, so many wonderful ones, but there are also some where it's like Ozzy Osbourne or Motley Crue and they're chartering a jet to Russia and like, you know, snorting ants and stuff. And, and it's like, I don't get it. You know, I, it, yeah. it, it didn't relate to me. It's like, I could never put myself in their shoes as much as I wanted to. <laughs> but yeah. I just was like, this is like make-believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I think it's important. I think that what you wrote and actually the way that you're coming at it is important for people to see because it is, it's, it's the, it's the way we connect with an author and their story. That's going to make an impactful change for us. If we're, if we're struggling with something different, if we can't see ourselves in your shoes, it's hard for us to make the decision and, and not make an excuse of why our life is different from yours. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people really would struggle with some of these other people who are writing about that stuff. Not that it's not impactful. It's that if it's not relatable, it's easy for us to justify why it's not uh, connected to us or why we're different. And so, you know, part of this was, you know, you, you were in the psychiatrist's office, they rubber stamped you, you're on the ride to, to tell your ride. Was that drive super important or was it when you went and walk towards that wine bar, was that drive something that you were contemplating the whole time on what you were gonna do? And that was kind of what, what changed a little bit of your mindset even before you got there maybe? So the, the drive from San Antonio to, to Telluride is 17 hours, give or take. And we did it in one shot. And the entire time I was consumed with wondering why is my, how did I end up this way? You know, like, why is, why, why has alcohol become such a, a thing in my life? It's pulling the puppet strings. I'm constantly thinking of it. I'm constantly terrified by it. I'm constantly let down by it. It's not a good friend to me. And so mm -hmm. uh, when you're on a road trip and now that kids have, you know, iPads and phones and, you know, they're kind of headphones and they're doing their thing. I was just kind of like grinding up the road. And I started thinking about the first time, you know, alcohol came in my life, you know, to times in fifth grade, eighth grade, you know, it's so it's a linear story of my life that I was thinking about all the way up to Telluride, just trying to piece together, you know, when it just got sideways for me. And, and what's really fascinating is it, there's no defining moment in my life where there was a horrible tragedy where, you know, I, I, I drove my car through a mall and, you know, killed people. Mm -hmm. or, so there was never that, but it was this long body of work um, that if compressed together in a single instance, like, you know, a horrific accident, it could be just as damaging, if not more, you know, especially if you look at your own life, in a way that would be a tragedy if you were on your deathbed and going, oh my gosh, you know what? If I didn't spend the last 60 years of my life, um, you know, uh, dipping my beak in a tumbler of vodka, I could have been a better father. Um, mm. I could have maybe done better in business. I could have been a better husband, a better friend, but I was serving king alcohol. You know, and, mm -hmm. and that's a hard thing to to think about because it's depressing, you know, and I have a feeling that when people quit and they look back, they start thinking, because I did this, like, oh, my God, if I would have stopped in high school, 
I could have probably gotten into an Ivy League school. I would probably be an investment banker or a doctor in my own plane. And then that's when you go, well, then what's the point? I might as well just start drinking again. It's too late. And, um, you know, that's just, that's a scary place to be where you start thinking of your life as one big regret, but I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I have found that when I look in the eyes of my children, I have three, that tells me I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And everything I did up to this very moment is exactly the way it's supposed to be according to God or the universe or whatever, because otherwise these kids would not be sitting here. I wouldn't be able to look at them. And, and that's the way I finally just was like, okay, I'm, I'm done kicking myself over, you know, the time I uh, ruined so-and-so's wedding by filing through the cake. I mean, look, life happens and it also is, is, is created so you can move forward. Mm, yeah, that's powerful. And, and if we were sitting here and there was somebody just kind of struggling right now with, you know, their own realization that maybe they drink too much, maybe they have, um, it's impacting the way that they show up in life. What's maybe a tool or tip you can give them that kind of to start them on the path of maybe some self-realization or introspection? You know, it's, it's one of the things that I, I try to convey in the book. It's, you know, ask yourself why, you know, why am I, because, you know, I, I, I'm not one to go around and be like, oh, drinking's bad. You know, I stopped. You need to stop or you better do this. I, that's, you know, humans are humans. We get to do our own thing. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting. People that come up to me and find out that I don't drink, they're like, why don't you drink? And it's, you know, pretty aggressive. And um, I've, I've never said this. I'm not out there to start a bunch of arguments, but I always think like, well, why do you drink? Like, ask yourself why. And you can't really come to that realization right away because everybody will kick it around. Oh, well, but it, wine tastes good. I love wine. Wine's good for my heart. You know, um, it relaxes me. And, and they start listing all the benefits. But I would just ask somebody that was, you know, confused about where they are with their drinking is to just go, you know, really just be honest with yourself and give yourself some time a week, a month, I don't know, and ruminate on why am I doing this? Um, especially if it's something that's causing you problems, you know, if you touch a stove and it burns your hand, you aren't going to touch that stove again, unless you're an idiot. <laughs> but yet <laughs> I have woken up with over maybe a thousand hangovers that would probably kill anybody else. And yet I got up and did it again, you know? So yeah, there's just something there that I think it's so nuanced and so personal, you know, there's not a one size fits all, uh, you know, solution, but it always starts with the person and, 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 and having a real meaningful, you know, thoughtful time, considering why they're doing what they're doing. Mm, yeah. You know, when I listen to this, it's, it's interesting because I look at, and I picture myself and, you know, especially being from the community and culture that I came from in the military, it was like, we didn't drink like regularly. I wasn't drinking every night or even every weekend. We, you know, we had a lot that was going on, but when we drank, it was all or nothing. It was like, you were going three sheets to the wind or you weren't having a sip. There was no in between. It wasn't one drink or two drinks. And so when I listened to you and, and hear you say, well, ask yourself why, I think that was where it changed for me when I asked, well, why do I need to do that? Like, why is it that if I touch it, I have to have all of it or I have to have zero of it. If I want to enjoy a nice one glass of wine with my wife, why couldn't I do that? Right. And so um, when I asked myself those questions, I started to come up with, with, better answers in the sense of, yeah, you don't need to do that. Kind of like what you said, you don't have to be here at the wine bar. You don't need to do this. And I think that profound question is, it seems very simple, but I don't think enough of us ask that question, right? I think, frankly, nobody asks it. And if they do, they're not honest with their own self, <laughs> you know, they, mm -hmm. And I mean, and that's, that's just the mind of, uh, you know, that's the addictive mind, you know, the, the addictive mind is your ego and it wants to be in control and it wants to have a say. 
when in fact we all know and you're, you're pretty much hardwired from factory settings to know right and wrong, hot and cold, but yet we have created um, you know, a voice inside our head that can justify just about everything we do. Um, you know, oh, as I'm like shoveling cake in my mouth, I'm like, oh, but it's a treat. I deserve a treat. You know, I know I'm, <laughs> you know, eating 3,000 calories. My uh, my blood levels are going to shoot. I'm going to be sad for like 24 hours. I would have to run 18 miles to burn it off. But yet, I'm, you know, it's it's good. You know. <laughs> So it, it, I, I'm not perfect, you know, at all. And and I think that you're right. I mean, I, I don't really want to go back to thinking like, oh, yeah, maybe I could maybe drink a glass of wine. But I, I'd like to think that if I had a better handle on my thinking when I was younger and knew the cause and effect, um, short term and long term, you know, maybe I could have been like a, you know, two glasses of wine guy. But I just, I never sure. wanted to be, you know, I, I liked getting wasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of men today, I mean, that's how they justify their weekends, right? Like they work hard during the week. And then, like you said, the treat of the cake is the treat of having some beer, sitting down, watching a football game and neglecting your family or neglecting your relationship or, you know, numbing out for the weekend. It becomes a, it becomes something that I think many men uh, actually really struggle with, but don't come to the realization that it is something that's inhibiting their, their livelihoods. Um, and it's not to say that everybody has a problem. Like, I don't want to think that, that we're having that discussion, but it's to say that, Hey man, alcohol is a big role in our society as Americans and we abuse it in a lot of cases. And it's really saying, Hey, what is your relationship with it and why? Right. Yeah. And, and I think there's also, you know, a great point you just mentioned is the, you know, the work and the reward, you know, the, that we're all conditioned to, you know, literally uh, with dopamines and the gates of release when you work out or do all this stuff. It's a, for me personally, at, at the very beginning, I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do to reward myself? You know, um, the weekends here, you know, all my friends are playing golf, they're drinking beer. Um, my wife's out with her friends, they're drinking wine, playing cards. And, you know, I'm sitting here uh, with my dog um, and my phone's not ringing. And, you know, I, because there was such a powerful spiritual intervention, I just, I didn't question it. I'm like, okay, well, I guess you just have to rewire your brain to look at different kinds of rewards. And um, it, it, this isn't a sales pitch to anybody, but I have found that I get more out of, you know, tending to my yard um, and like mm. digging weeds out and then bagging everything up and then looking at it and watering it. I mean, that's that's four hours of, of a time well spent in my book. And the other part that goes back to maybe my bear being my spiritual animal is I've found um, the, the cleanest and most beautiful connection with my kids because, you know, now that my two boys are in high school, yeah, there's, there's beer involved in their lives. But, you know, before that, it was like, you're kind of a kid again yourself if you've been drinking since you've been 14 you know you're having to relearn what's fun and as a kid were you ever bored no because you would just mm. like go outside and you'd like throw a rock at a tree or chase a rabbit or do something and i think that alcohol is is the easy button for a lot of us you know it's like Oh, I'm at a terrible dinner party with a bunch of people I don't even like. Well, you know, then it's the yeah. greatest night ever. <laughs> you, you could be sitting like in a broken down car and, you know, remember, you know, the tow trucks four hours away or something. And there's a 12 pack of ice cold beer in a cooler in your trunk. And it's like, this is going to be the greatest four hours of my life. You know, instead you have to find new things to do. And that that's a challenge, you know, but it should be looked at as, um, you know, an opportunity uh, to expand and grow and whatnot, because the uh, the easy button just stunts our growth, you know, just, I need to have fun, push the button. Oh, it's fun now. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and I love that. I love that that's what you brought up. It's something that I talk about pretty frequent, frequently because I think men, uh, we don't give back to ourselves enough because, you know, I, I coach a lot of men and a lot of men that I have um, coached, when you ask them, well, what is enjoyable to you? Most of them actually don't have an answer. The surprising vast number of them don't have an answer. And, and that's a sad place for us to be as a, as, as a culture, right? You know? You know, I, I totally agree. And there, there's a lot of things that I look back, you know, in history and um, particularly I've been reading a lot about, you know, like native culture, Indian cultures and stuff and the, the flow of their life, you know, um, get up with their kids, their wife, their elders, they would go hunt pull berries or whatever. Then they would dance, you know, they would get a drum, take a calf skin and tie it around a log and then they would dance by a fire and mm -hmm. you know there wasn't a lot of obesity i don't think there's a lot of depression you know until of course you know genocide and all that but even go back thousands of years and you look at the simple things and you know i don't want to get too far out of my lane but you know i, I really believe with you know phones and social media you know there there is no time to connect and i'm 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 a movie buff and to have a device in my hand that has access to every movie ever made. I mean, that's irresistible at times, but man, there's just, there's a, there was a moment, I think my family and I were in Montana and we're up in, oh, what's it called? It's right by the Canadian border pull bridge. And we were in a cabin and there was absolutely no internet. It didn't matter if you were having a heart attack, you're just out of luck. And within a couple <laughs> of hours of us being there, you know, my oldest son and my daughter are out like playing catch. You know, my other son is like digging around and, you know, walking to the, 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 the river. My wife and I were in a fully engaged conversation. And, you know, right when we got back in the car four days later and the bars of everyone's phone went up, it was right back into that, that, that it's not a void. I mean, it's some of the smartest people on earth have created technology, you know, to keep our attention. You know, we don't really have a choice in the matter, just like mm. alcohol in a way, you know, it's something that's so perfect, but it can take everything away from you without you even knowing it. And that's the most dangerous design there is. Mm, that right there is a, that's a mic drop right there because I think, you know, anybody listening right now, this isn't just about, you know, alcohol and what you went through in your life to this point to break through and write this book. It's also anything that we find ourselves overindulging in and causing a negative effect in our lives. And, and it becomes something that's automated. If, if it's automated and we're not consciously doing it with an intention behind it and other things, if it's automated, that's what can become a detriment to our existence, to our relationships and to how we show up in the world. Absolutely. And I mean, there are just, there's so many opportunities for us to get distracted or connect to something that's, you know, superficial. Um, and, and it could be, you know, it could be gossip. It could be, you know, corporate ladder climbing and scheming. It could be all of these things, but you know, when you finally are able to step back and be honest with yourself and answer the, the big why question, man, nine times out of 10, people are going to realize it's pretty great just being here with my kids and, you know, doing this. And now let's start building the foundation outward and it's never too late. You know, well, maybe it is. I mean, there are a lot of people that are, it's way too late now, but um, <laughs> I, I think, I think it, the, that's the thing is when people say that, you know, by reading the book or, you know, having a conversation or, or seeing the results of me not drinking, um, it just provides them hope, you know, um, and, and real hope because, you know, I wasn't like a hobo living under the bridge. You know, I was a, arguably a pretty successful guy, uh, you know, beautiful wife, all the stuff, all the trappings of, you know, a, a good life. And, but I, I was a heroic drinker, you know, and I, and I loved alcohol and, you know, specifically, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons, of course, this could be like a 10 hour show, but the number one is that, you know, the inner voice that we all have, you know, mine was just very cruel, you know, and 
anytime I, I drank, it became very nice or it just went away and I didn't hear it. And so it was just, then I could kind of get back to dreaming and like, oh, I'm so great. I'm going to do all this stuff. And you write down all your ideas and you wake up the next day and you're hungover and you can't even muster up the energy uh, to get to any of those things because you got to put all your effort into just getting through the basics of your day, you know, and by five o'clock or six, you just want to get back into that bottle. And uh, that's where mm -hmm. I was. Wow. And, um, you know, I think, again, I think so many men can resonate with the fact that there is that inner voice that's cruel. I think most men in general, I think, have a very cruel inner voice. We, we treat ourselves very poorly and we're renowned for being our best critics and our worst supporters, you know. And um, when you revisit that, um, what what is something that maybe you can tell guys about their own inner voice if that's what they're dealing with? without jumping into the bottle, what's something that has helped you conquer that inner voice? Cause I, I I'm sure it didn't just go immediately away, you know? No, it, it, I think it's always going to be there. You know, it, it lingers and pops up, you know, now and again, but you know, you just have to realize that is not your voice. You know, it's who knows where it's coming from. You know, you, you, you were um, military. My dad, you know, was a Marine um, and I think men in general just adopt this inner voice of like, I'm too fat. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I got to kick this guy's ass. I'm going to drink more beer than that guy. Do it because that's what we think is success. You know, um, there mm -hmm. are only the most enlightened of us, you know, their inner voices like, boy, you really did good today on your run. You know, it wasn't your best time. Yeah. I know you're looking at your Garmin, but you should be proud. You should be proud. You, you got to work out in your heart's pumping, you know. I don't know if I could ever talk that way to myself without laughing, but, you know, <laughs> there is a way to just be nice to yourself. And, and, and the one thing that I always try and think about is, you know, I would never, ever speak to my children the way that my inner voice speaks to me and you know whatever universe or god you believe in you just have to remind yourself that you were created this miracle um because something out there had great intentions for you and it doesn't mean making the most money or sleeping with the most women it's living a meaningful life you know, by finding mm -hmm. joy in all of the things around us, whether it's a garden or, you know, riding a bike or just taking a walk, you know, you can train yourself to find real joy in that. And, and, and as men who really like a challenge, you know, to feel like they're winning, you could almost just make a, a challenge. Say like, okay, instead of this, today you're gonna go, you know, you're gonna walk through the forest and you're gonna take a picture with your camera and then you're gonna write a caption about it. You know, I mean, silly as that sounds, it starts sharpening the groove of, you know, self-awareness, self-control. And, um, you know, if you get to the point where you're like, you know what, I would rather just sit here and watch um, Breaking Bad again, that's fine if that's what you want mm -hmm. to be doing, you know? Um, and it, it's just exciting because it really opens the door to, to a lot of creativity and, and finding new things. And I have this little kind of quick thought where I tell people, and it's the absolute truth that if, if some of my buddies, you know, if they called me and said, we're flying in from Dallas, we got a private jet, we're picking you up and going straight to Vegas. There's a hundred thousand dollars worth of chips. You know, there's hookers everywhere or whatever. I would, and it was like Friday, I would go, you know what guys, I'm about to go to Target um, with my daughter because she wants to go look at like these new conditioners that came out. And and I really, honest to God, have done that. And I, and I mean that because the, I've, I've, I've done it all in Vegas and nothing ever brought me a real sense of joy, even, you know, a great round at blackjack than it is just having a conversation with my, you know, 10 year old daughter. And I'm like, this is so cool, you know? 
but you have to mm. you have to give yourself the permission and the freedom to do that where where i don't think a lot of our man manly peers think that that would be a good way to spend your time you know mm-hmm no, that's very true. And I, and I think that that inner voice would kind of govern them differently um, without that self-awareness, right? So that big piece of self-awareness to be able to question that inner voice is, is a huge step in creating a change in your life. And it was funny because I talked to somebody else who, who um, was on the path of self-development. And they were talking about how like that inner voice and they said, well, give your inner voice uh, a, a funny, a funny sound like Mickey mouse. Right. So could you, could you really take it seriously? If all of a sudden the inner voice that's telling you you're a bitch or something like that is Mickey mouse. Hey man, you're a bitch. Like, no, you're going to laugh your ass off. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, I love that. I, I mean, life, it could be that, that simple. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, self-awareness, you know, it, it's such a buzzword. It's, it's such a thing. But what I don't hear people and experts saying is that, man, self-awareness is a contact sport. You're going to get hurt. You know, this is, this is no game for sissies to get mm -hmm. really self-aware, you know, all warts and all, because that's the only way you'll ever grow is to just take the inventory, acknowledge your weaknesses, forgive yourself somehow and move on, you know, to really, you know, go down that path is, is, is not anything that people would want to just sign up for. I mean, nobody is seeking self-awareness because life is great. You know, it's always yeah. when they're at the end of um, a long uh, life of bad decisions and patterns is where they're asked to, or they want to go, what? what's going on? You know? Um, so I, I don't take it lightly, you know, um, in terms mm -hmm. of like ask, you know, when, when somebody's asking me like, what should I do? I, I always put it back on them and, you know, go back to the why. And that leads to that door, uh, that very dangerous door of self-awareness. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's self-awareness. You don't have to share anything with anybody, you know, as long as you're aware of it yourself and you're acknowledging it, that's, that's the way to kind of move on and, you know, make that voice sound a little bit more like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, self-awareness is, it's a tough thing. You know, I, I was speaking at an event and um, at the end of it, some guys came up and I was speaking to them and I told them that all the stuff I'd done in my life, the hardest thing, it was actually the inner work. So all the physical things, the war, the gunfights, all that shit that we went through, the hardest thing I've done is actually the inner work on myself because the, you can't run from that. You know the truth and yeah. you have to come to terms with the demons and you need to shake hands with the shadows and you need to address the trauma and you have to accept it and forgive it, like you said. And so such a beautiful way of putting that, but, and that helps the voice turn to Mickey Mouse. I love that because that's truly, truly what we have to do. Yep. And, and I think, I think I didn't make this quote up. I can't attribute it to anybody, but it was something along the lines of a man who realizes his limits has no limits. And if mm. you really kind of, you know, think about that one on a walk, you know, a lot of people are like, what? I don't have any limits. What are you talking about? How would I get further if I have limits? But it's the ability <laughs> to recognize that, that, you know, the humility inside of you that, you don't know everything. In fact, you know, not a lot. And so you need to go learn more and meet more people and do more things because you have no limits now. You know, once you kind of accept, you know, the farthest you've gotten at this point is great. And I need, but now I need help. You know, now I need, mm -hmm. you know, education. Now I need the right book. Now I need the right friend, you know, it opens you up to start looking for those things where most of us are otherwise, you know, head down, get through our own day, take care of our own business. And it's good enough right now. Thank you very much. But being able to admit like, you know what, uh, I'm not so great, you know, um, and, and we're able to do it physically all the time. I mean, it's the multi-billion dollar a year thing. It's like, I'm a little chubby, you know, and there's like, 
a thousand solutions that nobody's really ashamed to talk about. It's like, I'm on another diet, but nobody's going around saying, you know what? Um, my, my insides are really out of shape. Um, my brain is out of shape. I'm, I'm doing the hard work. I'm going to therapy. I'm reading books. I'm listening to podcasts. You know, that stuff still isn't mainstream. Um, at least, you know, it's, it's, it's much more than it used to be. Like when our dads were dealing with this kind of stuff, there was nothing, you know, like, let's watch mm -hmm. Barney Miller and, you know, maybe watch MASH or something. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're in a, in a good time, I think, where the information is available uh, to those who seek it and make easily accessible. The Library of Congress is in, in our phone, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Such such words of wisdom there. And yeah, I think we are for all the you know, there is negativity that comes, you know, with every good thing there is bad. Right. And so I think you're absolutely right. We're in probably one of the most special times in the, as the, in the sense of the access to information and being able to do some deep work on ourselves and really actually make a difference in how we show up and enjoy life in our own authenticity. But on the same token, we have obviously downfalls in, in the sides of technology and the things that we are interacting with every day. So, you know, it is, it is, kind of that balance of both, but knowing where you can fit into that and how it can actually implement into your life and be used in a way that creates ad advantages as, as far as uh, your life instead of adversity is a pretty big thing. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just respect you so much with the, you know, the Ranger to the army thing. It's, it's mind blowing. You know, I was, I used to always think like, you know, I'd watch or read, I read an article, I think in high school about the Navy SEAL training program. I'm like, Oh man, I, I could do that, you know, and then you watch documentaries and you're like, um, okay, I can't, but you know, with, you know, you have had the best training in the world in terms of overcoming obstacles and being able to probably tell an enemy, uh, the difference between an enemy that's dressed like a civilian and, uh, you know, somebody that's going to cause you harm. So for the rest of us, you know, that's something you just have to work on and, and, you know, keep notes, you know, whether it's like the friend that's always showing up with a, a box of donuts or something, you know, it's like, mm. this, this, this isn't my friend, you know, and, and you, you start wondering, like the people in your life that aren't pushing you forward are actually pulling you back. And, mm. and that's, that's a hard thing to really accept. But when you have the clarity of mind, um, and also just, it's a black and white issue, net zero. It's like, okay, I love this person, but this person is dragging, not, certainly not pushing me along, not encouraging me, not you know, advising me or sharing positive information. They're just dragging me down. But yet most people continue that relationship because you know, there's, um, you know, there's a comfort in it. Um, I, I, I just don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to change um, as an adult, but it, it's a good, mm -hmm. it's the good kind of hard. You know, there, there is, there's a reward waiting for you. Um, and as a matter of fact, it's not waiting for you. It's already there. Uh, and that's you feeling like you're in a little more control or a happier state of mind. And you don't have to wait years for that. You don't have to do a 21 day fast, you know, to feel that. Mm -hmm it can happen pretty immediately. And, and, and I think that's pretty empowering. And I have to remind myself of that quite often. Yeah, no, that is empowering. And I think you put it perfectly earlier it's, it, that using that question of why can help you get to that point of being empowered and understanding all that. So I love that. And um, man, this is, it, it, this has been such a great conversation. I really, really appreciate you being on here, Jason. Um, let's tell everybody a little bit more about where they can get your book, a little bit more about your book and what you got going on so they can support you. Um, sure. So um, the book is available, of course, on Amazon. And there are, are also a few independent booksellers carrying it. But the best bet is Amazon. It's there the next day. And, you know, the, what I would say is um, this is a book that if you like to laugh, um, maybe at other people's problems. Now, I, I wrote it in a way that is funny. You know, humor is kind of my 
language of choice. And what was so remarkable is going through the game tip of your life on, on a lot of things where I used to just beat myself up over and over again, through the writing process and the rewriting process, I was able to kind of get my natural voice back and explaining these things without judgment, you know, without just condemning myself. And, and I didn't want it to read like an apology note, you know, for all the times I, you know, fell down on the dance floor. Um, and so I think that's why it's become so relatable um, to men and women. Um, frankly, mm -hmm. I've had more women come up to me and say, they just think it's, you know, the greatest, they read it in one day. And that, really helps me um, push forward because my my kind of thesis is that um, I know I'm not alone. I know that there are a lot of guys like me, a lot of a lot of women like me, you know, like just trying to do your best, you know, um, but yet it's difficult and it's okay. But the uh, uh, the best quote I received was from a, a, a doctor, an older man is like maybe 79. I won't name him to age him out, doctor. Uh, he's from Pakistan and he read the book and he wrote me a note that said, you know, C.S. Lewis uh, said it best. We read to know that we're not alone. And, mm. and, and for, for him to put that together with this book, which is kind of like a Generation X highlight reel um, that, you know, goes from California to New York to Buenos Aires to Texas and, and brings back all these memories and, and uses movies and songs um, as references to timestamp moments in my life so the reader would kind of feel that they're there. Um, anyway, that is my pitch on the book. And I do have a website, the it's thejasoncarter.com. And I'm really trying to find a way to be more helpful and, 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 you know, some content here and there really to bring awareness about the book. But the best part is just, you know, being on podcasts like this and meeting other people and knowing that there's this network out there that, that is really committed to not only improving themselves, but to help others. You know, it's, um, you know, it's not something that a podcast isn't something you just hit record and then upload, you know, it takes a lot of thought and craft and, you know, technical acumen. And I think that's the coolest thing about the technology is that anybody with a, you know, a signal can create meaningful content and share it and anybody can find it that's looking for it. Yeah. And everybody listening, will put everything in the show notes to connect with Jason, his website, and to find uh, his book on Amazon. We'll link that in there as well, because um, obviously it, it's a great read. And definitely with the fact that he's, you know, I love the fact that you bring humor in with it and the fact that you're tying this to the, the realism of, of what life actually is. You're, you are a relatable human and people are able to connect with that story and realize that they're not alone, which is like you put it is that's probably one of the most profound things we can do as men and women is realize that in our struggles and in our happiness, we're, we're not alone in any of that. There's people who share in those. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So well, if that's the end of it, I just want to thank you for the time and also for your service to our country. Um, I see the, the flag behind you. And as I might to guess that that was something taken from the fields. It looks like it's um, seen. No, this some, is a, wow. it's, it's, it's a metal. It's a metal one. Actually, there was an amazing company called Nashville Metal Arts who wanted to sponsor the podcast and they make these metal uh, flags and, and they decided to send one over for the show and make it part of the podcast wall, which I love it. So no, thank you. I appreciate that. And absolutely. I appreciate your time, Jason. Thank you for sharing your wisdom in the book. Thank you for sharing your wisdom um, in the podcast. And your final question before you leave is what does the art of masculinity mean to you? <clears throat> Um, the art of masculinity, just, you know, not just a podcast, but I think to be a man does require more of the thinking of an artist rather than a warrior. You know, the brute strength can only get us so far, you know, ramming through a wall might win, you know, the battle, but the 
the, the what we're trying to do in life requires more nuance and focus and specialty that we all have in some way or another. And I think the other part of an artist is that, you know, they're not afraid to uh, work with others and co-create. And I think that, you know, the warrior mentality gets you only so far, but if you're, you know, practicing the art of being a man or masculine, it opens it up to working with so many others, co-creating with women and men alike, and um, the ability to be open-minded and, and see other artists doing things that you may not like, or, you know, it's not your style, but you're able to look at it like an artist and learn from it and bring maybe bits and pieces of it into your own life project. So that's kind of mm. what it means to me on the fly. Oh, I love that. Beautifully said. Absolutely. And I love that you, you painted it that way. So I appreciate you, Jason, so much. Thank you for being on the show and to everybody listening as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble until next time, guys.